I think the main thing people should know is that most psychiatric disorders are caused by physiological problems, right? That's one piece. The second piece is we have massive increase in psychiatric disorders because of the physiology, because of the hormone interrupting chemicals, and also because of the breakdown in our society. Okay, but you cannot separate the loss of community that's rampant. Um, um, it's it's so powerful uh, to to not be in a herd. Think of it, we're herd animals. You're out in the plains in Savannah, wandering around on your own, you know, you're gonna be much more stressed and much more vulnerable. So we don't have communities. That's a big factor in the increase in mental health. So when you're looking at your kid and saying, wow, what's wrong with him or her or your spouse, whatever, understand there are real reasons that are things that they don't know about, that you don't know about, things that are not in their control. Yes, it's their responsibility. Yes, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg, the psychology. How can we get to the root causes of anxiety, depression, and other psychiatric disorders? Today, we are excited to offer you a conversation with Dr. Robert Hedea, America's leading functional psychiatrist, about how he approaches brain health and mental health in his clinic to produce long-lasting change for his patients. This conversation discusses root causes of psychiatric disorders, how lifestyle and diet can affect mental health, and how Dr. Hedea uses Hylane therapy, that's H-Y-L-A-N-E therapy, in his practice to treat psychiatric disorders. My name is Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. Don't miss this transformative conversation about the cutting edge techniques that Dr. Hedea uses to change the way we are approaching mental health. Welcome, Bob, uh, and so glad to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, Andrew. Thank you very much. Look look forward to our discussion. Yeah, same here, same here. So as one of America's really leading functional psychiatrists, I think kind of let's just get started with the, the, the basics a bit. How did you get into psychiatry, mental health, and then kind of later, how did you get more into a functional approach? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I kind of like telling this story. You know, I was going to be a surgeon, actually. I was matched for surgery. And then uh, I had a great, I, I disliked psychiatry thoroughly. And, uh, and then I had a, an elective in my senior year in medical school. And I uh, had a great teacher who taught me hypnosis in about 10 minutes and then had me hypnotize a young kid who had abdominal pain, which they couldn't, they couldn't find an etiology or cause for it. And so I went up and hypnotized him. And then I age regressed him backwards to age three, who's 10 years old. I went back to age three. I was like, uh-oh, he didn't tell me how to bring him back. <laughs> kind of like improvised <laughs> a little bit. But the bottom line is uh, he did great. And actually his pain went away. And I was blown away by the power of the mind. And I was like, wow, this psychiatry is the way to go for me. So I switched into psychiatry. Then when I went into psychiatry at Georgetown and National Institute of Mental Health, I did my training both places and then uh, came out and just started doing cognitive behavioral therapy and psychopharmacology and some group therapy, just kind of what I was taught. And, um, and then I had a woman who had panic attacks for a year and they did not respond to anything. And I finally woke up and looked under the hood, you know, more carefully and found that 
her MCV, you know, the size of her red blood cells was a little bit large. It was 101. Upper limit is 100. And so I, I did a little research because I really didn't know what it was. And I saw, oh, it could be a B12 problem. So I did a Schilling's test, no longer available now, but I did a Schilling's test, gave her B12 injection. And in one injection, her panic was gone. And I was like, wow, what else am I missing? And yeah. that's, that's how it started. And it's so satisfying to you to look under the hood, especially when people have been going to different clinicians over the years or just struggling with those problems by themselves, you know, and then they're getting frustrated and then thinking that they're there's no answer, there's no hope. And then in a way, this kind of medicine gives people hope. Yes, yes. And you feel, I'm sure you feel the same way, you know, it's kind of like, there's almost always an answer, you know? So what are the most common kind of conditions that you see, you know, nowadays in your practice? And, and if you're going to, well, let's go broad first, and then we'll kind of get into what we want to talk about in terms of the, the different technology that you've introduced and innovated here. Um, so kind of the, maybe the top three to five conditions you can, you see nowadays, although in functional medicine, that might be a loaded question. It's a so loaded question connected. <laughs> if you put to look on my website, I was kind of looking, I at, did, I did look yeah. all these, all these things we treat. And I'm like, this is exactly. crazy. I mean, I'm treating all these things, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, but the, the, the reality is functional medicine is such a broadly applicable method because it deals with kind of all chronic, lots of chronic conditions. So I end up accidentally learning how to treat the osteoporosis. Well, I don't really treat anyone directly for osteoporosis, but they come to me with a major depression, uh, you know, and they happen to have osteoporosis. The osteoporosis tends to get better. So what do I treat? Major things that I treat are um, depression, mood disorders, let's say, would be a major category. Chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia would be a major category. I'm treating, uh, you know, early uh, cognitive decline and early dementia and aphasia. We have actually reversed a couple of cases of aphasia. We'll talk about that later. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll treat um, anxiety disorders, uh, OCD is a little tough. We've had real success with OCD, but the patients have to really be willing to do what they, you know, they need to do. And some patients with OCD won't do that. And some do. And the ones that do get very, they get better pretty quickly. PTSD, we work with PTSD and um, ADD, you know, well, this standard psychiatric stuff and, uh, and cognitive decline. And that's kind of how I would say that I don't, I, I have had success with um, psychotic disorders like schizophrenia. However, however, and there's a big however, the patients don't really stay on the program. They get better and then they drop everything. And uh, so I really kind of stay away from that because it's a lot of effort, a lot of energy. You know how it is with the functional medicine, it takes a lot of work. And then to put in that time and energy and money, and then the patient uh, goes off the program. No, I, I treated someone with with Walsh. I know you you teach the Walsh, you know, Institute method as well. Um, and then they got better, started having a job, started having friends, and then they dropped off and they totally right. went back. So I, is that a social support issue or what, what is that? No, I think yeah, okay. um, there's, I, I don't know if it's like an early emergence of the psych, psych, psychotic state. Um it, it could be an early emergence, like it's working for a while and then it stops working. And then with the psychotic state, they, they kind of become a little paranoid, distrustful, and then they they refuse to cooperate. I don't know if it's that. 
but you know, we have non-compliance or failure to comply with a lot of people. So it's hard to really, you know, pin it down to that. It's a hard program. Changing your life, your lifestyle, your diet on a permanent basis is a big deal. And they don't have the bandwidth. They don't have much wiggle room or reserve. So if they kind of go off the program a little bit, it's probable that the psychosis emerges, and then you're you're just out of control, you know. And, and like you said, there's not as margin there. There's probably not yeah. as much margin for them on their lifestyle um, to, to, you know, to not, to, to, to stick with it. They have to really stick with it. Um, kind of wanted to talk about some other things. I've listened to you speak a lot um, recently about how, you know, mental health is almost over, um, I don't know if overdiagnosis is the right word, but um, kind of like this idea that once someone has a mental health condition, they have it for life or they're kind of stuck with it. Just like when people like go to the endocrinologist or primary doctor and they're like, you have diabetes and it's like a life sentence or something. Can you speak to that interaction between mental health, physical health, and how we can kind of move move past the 1500s finally, <laughs> basically? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, right. So I'll tell you, I have kind of become convinced that most psychiatric stuff is biologically based and that what we're talking uh, when we say oh it's a, a mental disorder a psychological disorder that it's it's not now it, are there psychological issues yeah look you have a chronic problem there's going to be a psychological overlay right but i think it's number one really important to understand that most things have an underlying biological basis now there are people who have character issues all you have to do is read the paper and look at our leaders. Boom, you've got it. <laughs> but there are characterological issues, right? Uh, and character can be changed, right? But personality is kind of inborn. In other words, are you harm avoidant? Are you novelty seeking? Are you reward dependent? You know, what's how how is your biology tuned? That's kind of it's innate. It's modified by maternal, you know, or, or the primary caregivers' uh, influence in the early years and peers. When you grow up, but but I would say that much of what we're dealing with is biologically based, and it's it's just pretty clear. And and now as when we get into the the quantitative EEG, uh, some of the stuff that I see just blows me away. Just blows me away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think we do want to get into that in just a second. Um, just a few other kind of intro questions here. So talking about the different you know, major things that you see from a quote unquote mental health perspective, what are some of those common biological root causes for those conditions that you see? Um, are there overarching umbrella kind of uh, themes that our listeners can kind of gravitate towards in terms of like, hey, what's going on with anxiety or depression or PTSD? Mm, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, I can't narrow it, down, narrow it down to just a few more common things because, you know, when I when I evaluate somebody, it's like Brett isn't talking about 36 holes in your roof, you know, 36 problems. You know, it's more than 36 problems. It's hundreds of potential problems. And everyone's got their own unique. It's a pretty expensive handy person, you know, to, to fix all those. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I joke around. I say, you know, like uh, working with me is like going to the Mayo Clinic, except all the 12 doctors, they're all in my head. You know, we're doing GI, we do immunology, we do infectious disease, we, you know what I mean? And the yeah, chronology. yeah, it's all genetics. Yeah, you know, we do all of those things. So, I mean, the, the big buckets are the things that are on the functional medicine matrix, you know, digestion, nutrition, mm -hmm. immune function and dysfunction and, and hormones and toxins and epigenetics and structural issues 
and then lifestyle issues and sleep and, you know, rejuvenation, you know, those are the big buckets, but within yeah. those buckets, you know, there are many, many, many causes, you know. So today we want to talk about um, Hylene, which uh, I, I want to ask you how you came up with that acronym, because I'm a big fan of acronyms, but it basically, it sounds like it stands for hyperbaric oxygen laser therapy, and then neural therapy or neurofeedback. And neural exercises. Um, neural exercises. Um, does Hylene mean anything else besides that? I know I, I just, it's a fun acronym question really first before. No, we talk no, about it's just, I was just, you know, take the uh, first, it just popped into my head. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was talking with somebody about it and it just popped into my head. And I thought, oh, that's a nice way of putting it together, you know? And so let's and talk about what it is, what Hylene is, um, how does it work and uh, how does it work for different conditions that you see? Yeah, so Hylane is hyperbaric oxygen, right? So hyperbaric oxygen, people may know, uh, is uh, being in a, a pressurized uh, container, uh, 1.3, 1.4 atmospheres pressure, which is equivalent to about 10 feet underwater to as high as two and a half, or you may go up to four atmospheres. We don't do that. Uh, and, and the idea is that this actually, through multiple mechanisms, improves uh, blood flow, right? You're putting things under pressure. So the, the small capillaries open up, you have more oxygenation, more nutrient uh, uh, delivery. You have changes in, uh, in free radical production, stem cell production, uh, lots, of, lots, of, uh, lots of mechanisms of action. And it's helpful in healing the brain, even from uh, head trauma that has been years before. Now, it doesn't revive dead cells, dead brain cells, but if there are cells that are kind of liminal, like I have to say, they're kind of on the edge, they're alive, but they're not really doing too well, uh, it can help those those things. And uh, we've seen, you know, based on the on the QEG that we do, that uh, there's clear evidence that it actually can improve head injury post, you know, years post uh, the head injury. So, so that's useful. That's the hyperbaric oxygen. And you spend maybe an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the protocol, in the oxygen uh, chamber, uh, maybe doing various things. And that, so that's one piece of it. Uh, the next thing is the, uh, the QEEG-guided laser. So basically, we do a quantitative EEG. Uh, and I guess, uh, I guess I'm not sure your listeners know what that is. Yeah. Let's definitely take a step back. What's the difference between quantitative and qualitative EEG? I think most people are familiar with uh, EEG. If someone has a seizure, they go to see a neurologist, they get a diagnosis or of potentially like a seizure or something like that. Um, what's the difference between that kind of EEG and a quantitative EEG? So the quantitative EEG is fascinating, really. And basically, people you know, put on a cap, and the cap has 19 uh, points at which it measures the electrical energy that your brain is producing. And it can do this uh, accurately, really, through the scalp. And then there's a, an algorithm that has been worked out. It's called the reverse solution, which actually, <laughs> amazingly, can actually you know, figure out what the electrical energy is not only on the surface of your brain, but even deeper in your brain in all of these different areas, in lots of different areas. And then that is actually uh, put into an image so you can actually see the surface of the brain and the networks in the brain. And I'll show you some of this later. Uh, and even the nuclei in the brain 
And what I've found is that it correlates, uh, this is in the literature too, it, it correlates with diffusion tensor imaging, it correlates with uh, NeuroReader. Uh, I actually just last week was working on a patient's plan and was correlating her QEG with her NeuroReader volumetric MRI, which gives us the details in lots of specific areas in the brain. And it was actually a really nice correlation between- Nice, them. okay, didn't know that, yeah. Yeah, so that's so that's the quantitative EG. So we take the quantitative EG, and I've uh, learned how to uh, read it, and I'm still learning. Frankly, it's a very complex tool, um, and um, and then I, uh, based on the symptoms and based on what I see in the QEG, I decide where I'm going to apply the third the the laser. The laser is uh, coherent light, meaning all the the photons in the light are actually in sync with each other and, you know, peaks and troughs like the waves in the ocean, they're actually in sync with each other. And the laser, you apply it to different areas in the brain, depending on the symptoms and the QEG. And, um, and then uh, about 2.64% of the light penetrates through the skull. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, that's what you do. And, um, the uh, the last part of this is neural exercise. And I, I, I didn't say neurofeedback. I said neural exercise because you're basically exercising the neurons in the brain in a targeted way. And sometimes it's with neurofeedback. Sometimes it's with uh, uh, exercises like Brain HQ is a, is a good, good platform. Uh, there are other things that, that people can do as well. So it's a combination of those things. So I have based those on a foundation of functional medicine, meaning the patient has done their function, functional medicine. And then typically I would go in and do this. Um, more recently, however, I have two patients who had aphasia, meaning difficulty speaking. Um, one woman was a 72-year-old African-American woman had diabetes, she was obese, she had dementia, she had aphasia, she could only speak a few words, really. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't think, she doesn't want to do the program, she doesn't want to change what she did. You know, this is really, her husband begged me to please treat her, he begged me, begged me. So I said, well, let's just try the laser, you know, just try the laser. We did the QEG, I did the laser. And she started talking. It was like I started crying and he started crying and she started talking. You know, it was just incredible. Now, she wasn't normal. She was about 75% normal. Um, I was able to eventually have a session with her for 45 minutes, just her and I. We had a, a psychotherapy session. Nice. Uh, and uh, so she had, a, I don't know, maybe about 20 treatments. Uh, and then I have another case like that also with a phaser of someone who came to me from uh, Illinois and we just did this. So that, that, those are incredible results. Are those vascular related aphasias, like like post stroke or something, or something? No, like these that? are not post stroke. These are more neuro neurodegenerative. So okay, you know, now not post stroke. Um, tried it on one guy who had a young guy, young guy who had a stroke. Uh, he was in his mid thirties. Uh, we did a few treatments. It wasn't clear. I thought he was doing a little better, but it wasn't really clear. Uh, so it may, and it doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. We don't know yet. There are some people who have traumatic results. 
Uh, and I, I can actually, if you're ready, I'll show you a couple of slides. Yeah, let's dive in. So this is a QEG. There's a woman who um, I'll actually show you. We published this article here just last March. Uh, oops. Uh, she was about 58. She had mild cognitive impairment. Uh, she was having trouble with cognition. She had something called prosopagnosia, so she couldn't remember faces. So if she met you in the morning, she would not remember that she met you in the afternoon. So that she had for about seven years. And she also had absence seizure, so, um, which were never diagnosed. So we did a, a functional medicine program for about six months, and she was feeling better in many ways, but she was still having the prosopagnosia and, you know, still some trouble with finding words here and there and cognitive things, et cetera. So then I did a QEG and I, and I was shocked to see her brain was still actually pretty dysregulated. And this here, I'll just orient your viewers. Uh, you, can you see my cursor, Andy? Yes. Okay, good. So here are her eyes, right? Her ears are here. And this is the back of her head. And anything that's gray is normal. Anything that's yellow is unstable, surface of the brain unstable, okay? So you can see here, there's a lot of instability on both sides of the brain and the frontal areas. This is a side view. Here are her eyes. Here's the back of her head. And here you can see other areas that are unstable. And here on the bottom uh, panel on the left, you can see another view. And you can see that there's this instability, these are areas of the brain that are firing too easily, meaning the brain is lacking stability and lacking energy, right? Probably lacking energy. So the thing, about, and, and the last one I'll explain to you here are these yellow lines and blue lines. The yellow lines are showing information flow from different Brodmann areas, different areas on the surface of the brain from one to the other. Okay. So there's a lot of information. This is a small slice of what we look at. Here we're looking at six hertz, meaning this is a neuronal population that's actually working and firing six times per second. And here's the amazing thing. This red cross here, here is at her hippocampus in each place. It's the area of maximal abnormality uh, in, in her brain at this frequency at six hertz you can see on the bottom here 2.74 she is 2.74 standard deviations from the normal now this is after functional medicine okay that's kind of shocking if you ask me uh, i was pretty shocked so then we did the high lane and basically we did the hyperbaric oxygen um, we did the laser we did the laser and the first treatment, I was not expecting this, but the first treatment, her facial blindness went away. I wasn't even, the facial blindness, frankly, wasn't even on my map. I never saw a patient with facial blindness. I didn't know what facial blindness was. She introduced me to it. it was, remember, I'm a psychiatrist, right? So facial blindness, not, not my thing, right? She came in the next day and said the her facial blindness was gone. I was, I came home that night and I told my wife that my mind was blown. I, I don't, I don't get this. I don't, I couldn't understand that. I could not get it. So after 30 treatments, here's her brain. 
And you can see it's completely normal. And her hippocampus now is 1.25 at the maximal, 1.25, but on average it's 0.45 standard deviations from the She's normal, she's normal. There's a little bit of stuff going on here and you see these yellow areas, but she's basically normal. Okay, so this is astounding. Now, she remember she had a mild cognitive impairment. She had also, I didn't tell you, ApoE4, the genes for you know Alzheimer's disease. She had two copies, so she's homozygous. And you know, there were some relatives who had it. And so she had a process going on in her brain, you know, because of the ApoE4 that was pushing her towards dementia. And we pushed it back. Okay. She did 30 treatments, and then we said, all right, let's stop. Then we reputed, repeated the QEG a month later, and it actually improved even further. So the brain was still using the energy and whatever it was, and her brain continued to improve. Then we checked her QEG three months after we stopped, and she regressed. And she regressed because the underlying processes underlying pathophysiology was taking over again now that we were not working on her brain. So she needs continuous treatment to maintain her brain health. And that's what we learned from her. I'll show you, um, this is the article we published. Uh, I said, oh, this is a slide. So, so you can so, so skip, so you can just, <laughs> uh, let me just come through here. Okay, so this is another one. Okay, now this is a vascular dementia. Okay, this is the surface. Whoops, this is the surface of his brain. Okay, this is after functional medicine. This panel on the left is after functional medicine, but before the hyperbaric and the laser. And what you see here is areas. These dark blue lines are worse than the light blue lines, but these are areas that are not connecting with each other in a meaningful way. They're not able to share information. We can blow this thing up here, you know, the red semicircles here, tell us about each Brodmann area and how it's connecting from one side to the other. Uh, so <clears throat> this is where he was uh, before his hyperbaric and laser. And then this is after his hyperbaric oxygen and laser treatment. And you can see it's a dramatic improvement in his connectivity. This is this connectivity is pretty disturbed. Uh, and then here we looked at a specific network in his brain. So this guy was complaining, everything bothered him. Everything was like something important to him. And that's the salience network. Salience, what's, what's important to you? What's salient, right? So the salience network for him was actually abnormal. And you can see that here. This is specifically the salience network not connecting different parts, not connecting to the others, right? And you can see some poor connection here on both the right and the left side. Up here, you see the salience network. I don't know if you could see this. And you see these white areas here that are kind of outlined? Uh, yes, yes. So that's the salience network, okay? And you can see here the salience network as well, right? So this is what happened after the hyperbaric oxygen and the laser. You can see is basically his salience network is normalized. It's essentially normal here. And he reported to me that things weren't bothering him so much anymore. You know, that means things weren't so salient, right? So 
This guy had a vascular dementia, a lot of cardiovascular disease, and he was having multiple problems and he was an executive. So one day I called him, I texted him actually, I texted him and I was just checking in on him and I said, you know, John, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. He texts me back. He says, my memory is my new superpower. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, well, I thought, well, John's having a good day. You know, that's all. But then I thought, well, let me do some testing, objective testing, you know, and see how he's doing. So we did a CNS vital signs. And we had one in May of 2019. And then that was May of 2020, a year later. Okay. And so you could see here, just to go over this, the verbal memory when he started was a 66th percentile. Now, this guy was a very bright guy, and he was in the 66th percentile. After the treatment, he's in the 95th percentile. So he wasn't really kidding, you know? No, it's great results. So <laughs> Amazing. This is mild cognitive impairment. We have other cases where uh, I'm going to show you one more case. Uh, if you, I don't know if you want to. You probably Yeah, wanna. yeah, okay. we can. Yeah, sure. So this is a 40-year-old guy whoops, with a 28-year history of unremitting depression. And uh, this is his baseline QEG up here, right? And after functional medicine. Now, the thing to look at here, I think, is um, you see my arrow here. Anything over two is abnormal, okay? So, so... This is where he came in. So he had abnormalities here in Delta. These are the neuron populations that are operating one to four times per second. And then he had uh, issues here in low beta, which are the, the neurons that are say 11 to 14 or so uh, cycles per second. And then you can see he had also in high beta abnormalities. There are a lot of abnormalities in, in him, but he's a, a bright guy. This is his peak frequency here. And you can see here is pretty high at around 11 mm -hmm. or so. He's a bright guy. Yeah. Um, and then after functional medicine, you can see these frequencies are better, right? Yeah. Uh, he's under two standard deviations, except in high beta, he's still abnormal. Okay. And so uh, then uh, basically we gave him 15 lasers and he still had something going on here. And then we added neurofeedback, and we still have something going on here. Uh, he's getting better. And this is his QEG, his, his neuronavigator QEG. And you can see pre-treatment baseline here, and then after functional medicine. You can see after functional medicine, the brain is still not normal. It's yeah. still not normal. Yeah. This little horseshoe show here is a, a marker of depression. And you can see the parietal area is still a problem, et cetera. So there's still a lot of problems. And this is after 15 lasers here. And then after lasers and neurofeedback, he's better. And the thing, uh, I don't think I have it here. No, I don't have it here. But we have mood charts that he kept consistently. And basically, he has been depression-free now for about a year for the first That's time. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, just seeing, and for the listeners who haven't been watching the video, go onto YouTube. But if you're listening, what, what Dr. Hadid is saying is basically that depression, cognitive impairment, vascular issues can all be, you know, the brain can basically essentially be healed and restored like with, with that matrix of functional medicine. 
as well, but um, as an underlying, you know, kind of homework in the beginning, but it sounds like for some people, this is where you even start is with Hyaline. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm now, like I said, I used to think, well, we got to get the functional medicine in first, you know, I think it's always better, right? Because it's like a plant, right? You give it good nutrients, good soil, right? Water, the brain is going to do better with get rid of the toxins, put in the trophic factors. It's, uh, right. it's got to do better, but, but people still can respond even uh, up front. Right. So I don't know the limits of that yet, but uh, you know, they can. How many years have you started doing Highland? When did you start developing it? So I, I started in about probably, I'd say 2017. Okay. Okay. I just have a couple of just detailed questions. I know some of the listeners might be asking this, but on the oxygen uh, HBOT or hyperbaric oxygen therapy, are you recommending a, a soft chamber, hard chamber? Like what, it sounds like there's different options really for people, but um, does it matter really how, how much atmospheric pressure you do on that? I think it depends on the conditions, but we, we have a soft chamber and, you know, some people do hard chambers and, you know, um, the the learning that I did with Paul Harsh and, and others uh, seemed to indicate that for most cases in, in my realm, and the kind of people I'm treating, uh, that the soft chamber is adequate. Uh, but there may be situations where you need higher, uh, you know, higher pressure. Uh, but the pressure is, seems to be the main active ingredient. However, there's a guy named Efradi, I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, so he's doing protocols. Yeah, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, in Israel. He's doing protocols okay. in Israel. He's been studying hyperbaric oxygen now for more than 20 years. He uses a protocol that we've just recently started using where we, we put people in the chamber for 90 minutes and we have them do hundred as close to 100% oxygen as we can for 20 minutes, then five minutes off, and then 20 minutes on, five minutes off. We repeat that cycle a couple of times three times total. And during that, we have them do neural training. Uh, and uh, the idea is that you can actually increase stem cells. Uh, the brain kind of thinks it has a relative hypoxia, even though it's hyper, first it's hyperoxic, right? Mm-hmm. And you take away the oxygen and really there's plenty of oxygen and the brain says, oh, relative hypoxia. It takes several weeks and then the brain says, this is bad. Let's make new neurons. And it, oh, makes, cool. and it makes some stem cells, et cetera. So, uh, so that's what we've been doing now. Uh, that's really cool. Know. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a um, homeostasis or, you know, something where pe- the body's trying to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body's make putting, putting in its adaptive mechanisms yeah. so yeah. that it can, uh, it can really, uh step up to the plate and you get you get benefit from it you know well i mean this is such a important uh discovery or innovation i i feel like uh this is the next level of functional medicine and neurology psychiatry it's all combined you know i mean certainly in our practice we, as you know we see a lot of people with you know mental health conditions but it's all linked to the physical and getting into neurology now. And I, I agree that sometimes you, when you treat the, the gut hormones, immune system, structural, it's, sometimes it's hard to touch the brain. So I, I love the fact that you created this like laser therapy and then combined with, you know, oxygen and neuroexercise because 
sometimes the brain is the the the, the most important area to treat. Mm-hmm. Um, often it is, I would say. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I'm going to show you one other thing. I'm going to share my screen again. Uh, it's really now. Th- it's not this patient, but I'm going to use this as an example, as a visual. Okay, so if uh, you see this panel here on the right here, right? So um, there's a pathway here that starts in the frontal area. Uh, it's it's uh, it's the inferior frontoorbital occipital, the frontal uh, occipital tract. It goes back from the front to the occiput, right? And it controls vision, and which makes sense, right? And it also controls reading speed. Uh, and then there's a vertical occipital pathway, which is in the back here. Um, and I had uh, two patients where I treated those pathways. One was a guy who was, uh, he was paranoid <clears throat> and he had visual distortions where he thought everyone was looking at him in a, with a disdain his whole life. So imagine you're going through life and everybody's looking at you with a scowl, you know, at, you know, it's not hard to get a little, not a great way to live. Yeah. yeah. Not a great way. And it's not hard to get socially phobic. Right. Et cetera. Yeah. Right? So we did his QEG and, you know, boom, his whole brain was normal except for this, inferior frontal occipital tract and the vertical occipital tract, both involved with visual facial processing. Whoops. So so we treated it. I'm like, my thing doesn't want to. So anyway, we treated it with four treatments and his visual distortions melted away. They That's melted amazing. Away. Wow. It's, uh, it, it's incredible. And, and then we just treated another woman and his reading speed improved which I didn't even know that the reading speed was involved in those pathways. And he told me, he says, you know, my reading speed has improved. So I did a little research and I was like, lo and behold, reading speed is involved. So that was a kind of check because, you know, you always wonder how much is placebo, you know, you, you obviously want to be sure that what you're doing is, is helpful and, and working, et cetera. So uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite, mind-boggling this 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 technology and i love these qegs and then just to think about how you know cholesterol blood sugar things like that we can check in blood work this is almost like a lab test mm-hmm. for, for the brain you know brain health and then yeah. be able to do something about it too being able to focus you know that area you know how in functional medicine we always talk about tests don't guess i mean this is kind of like what this is but that's exactly for what psychiatry yeah that's exactly what it is and it's it's superior to spec scans because spec, this is so much more detailed. And we can do this in a person's home. I mean, we could ship, we do it all over the country. We can ship the equipment to people in their home. That's they, great. It takes an That's hour, so maybe an hour and 20 minutes, and they ship the equipment back to us. So the oxygen needs to be done in person. What about laser? How does that work? Does that, do people come to the office for that or? So the laser, uh, people come to the office for the treatment. Um, and then th- there are some people like the first case I showed you where people will actually buy their own laser okay. and then I direct them on how to use it and check okay. in periodically, make sure they're, they're doing it properly. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, thing with the laser, just so people understand, is obviously, you know, there's, there's a good amount of research now on this, but it's still considered experimental, right? So According to the World World Health Organization, we uh, you're allowed to use something like this in someone where there's actually you know you have neurodegenerative disorder. There's no treatment, 
right? You have aphasia, there's no treatment, you, you know? So there is no treatment. And so you're allowed to try something experimental. And we did. And then you have to publish, which we did. And then you want to do a trial, which we're trying to set up. Uh, so that uh, that's kind of the way to go. So this is not something you're going to treat, you know, an 11 year old with uh, ADD. You know, yeah. you're not you're not going to do that, right? Uh, not because there are the standard therapies. There's effect. There's already established. Yes, therapies you would not we, want we to do. do. Yeah. Before we do this, we always need an MRI. Make sure there are no conditions inside the brain, et cetera, that would 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 be dangerous, et cetera. So this is limited to people in certain conditions like cognitive decline or treatment resistant depression or things like that. You know, they've uh, already done CBT. They've already tried ideally trauma informed therapy and things. All of those things, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then I was going to ask you, how do you decide when to weave those uh, hyaline treatments together with things like EMDR and therapy? Yeah. So, I mean, the patients, I would say that if someone has a history of trauma, you know, emotional, physical trauma, sexual trauma, et cetera, if they haven't uh, dealt with it, and it's affecting their ability to care for themselves in a proper way. They always have to deal with that first before engaging in our treatment. Because yeah. the treatments are complex. And if you don't have a partner on the other side, you, you, you as a physician, healthcare practitioner, there's a limit to what you can do. So, so we always get them involved in that kind of thing. EMDR, is, uh, you know, I uh, actually, I forget her name, the, the woman who developed it, um, I remember her name. Anyway, I interviewed her probably 15 years ago on my radio show. And um, I was talking about EMDR with my my uh, wife and daughter, actually, last night. I, I'm just, I don't know how effective it is. I, I, I just haven't seen much, but there may be practitioners out there who are great with it. I, I don't intend to like knock it or anything because it may be great for some people and it may be great practitioners, but I just haven't seen that much benefit from EMDR myself. You know, um, so okay. yeah, I think I think it does depend on each person too. Um, I, I think we should touch on medication since you have a background in, in obviously psychiatry, psychopharmacology. Where are you these days with using medications? Are you using them much in your practice anymore, or how's that going? Yeah, I'm, I'm using much less than I used to in the mid up until the mid to late 90s. I was using a lot of medication, I was. That's what I did. I did the whole medication, psychopharmacology, polypharmacy thing, you know. Then when I got into the functional medicine and I wrote my second book, um, we ended up getting, it was a bestseller. So we had had so much, I couldn't even treat all the people that were coming. So we, we just selected people who would do what I asked them to do. And after a few years, that's when I had my big aha, after about, Three years or so, I was like, "What? What's going on here? I'm barely prescribing meds, and uh, and everyone's getting better, and their osteoporosis is better, and their type two diabetes is gone, you know, and even a woman who's MS lesion disappeared. I'm like, what's going on here? I thought, you know, I must be lying to myself. So I hired a statistician to go over all my data, and these were we had I think 23 treatment resistant depression patients. And at the it, the data did show actually that all 23 were normalized by 10 months. In fact, without any changes in meds, I didn't take them off their meds. 
I just didn't make any changes except I added lithium for one patient who was suicidal and lithium is, helps reduce the risk of suicide. So um, I think meds are a good tool, but they're widely overused. And um, I wouldn't want to be without them, but, uh, but I think they're widely overused. Yeah. And then just a take home for the listeners. Thank you so much, Bob, for being on here today. What is one thing you wish everyone knew, whether it's themselves or their loved ones about treating psychiatric disorders? I think the main thing people should know is that most psychiatric disorders are caused by physiological problems, right? That's one piece. The second piece is we have massive increase in psychiatric disorders because of the physiology, because of the, the hormone interrupting chemicals, and also because of the breakdown in our society. Okay, but you cannot separate the loss of community that's rampant. Um, um, it's it's so powerful uh, to, to not be in a herd. Think of it, we're herd animals. You're out in the plains in Savannah, wandering around on your own, you know, you're going to be much more stressed and much more vulnerable. So we don't have communities. That's a big factor in the increase in mental health. So when you're looking at your kid and saying, wow, what's wrong with him or her or your spouse, whatever, understand there are real reasons that are things that they don't know about, that you don't know about, things that are not in their control. Yes, it's their responsibility. Yes. But it's really just the tip of the iceberg, the psychology just the tip of the iceberg. This we're dealing with a lot of functional medicine, there's almost like individual health, but then there's like the social, emotional yeah. community matrix. Yeah, exactly. Too. That's yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. Well, speaking of that for the for the larger community, thank you so much, Dr. Dea. Thank you so much, Bob, for being here today. We do have one fun closing question for all of our guests here. Um, it is a pretty um, interesting one, I think. What, what is one thing under $20 that you think has changed your health for the better that you'd like to, to share? Um, I would say this is very personal, okay? But for me, it's the belief that there is a creator and that the creator has a plan and that everything is part of a plan and everything has meaning and purpose. If you can grasp that, and it takes, admittedly, it's a challenge, but I've been working on it now for at least 15 years, maybe longer. If you can grasp that, then your stress, the stress that you experience in life is reduced by 80%. Then you may have pain, but you won't have suffering. That's a great point and um, great points. and. Um definitely a doesn't really cost anything i guess it costs you know more of a attention and and intentionality and working yes. on it like you said but uh but that's that's amazing have that meaning and purpose believing in higher power it's a great answer it's probably the best answer i've <laughs> i've heard so far great well thank you so much bob again um dr hidea how can listeners learn more about you and work with you uh, so we uh, have a website. It's called Whole Psychiatry. It's like W H O L E, like Whole Foods. Like Whole Foods, okay. Right. It's like wholepsychiatry.com, yeah. and there's a lot of information on the website. Tons of information information on the website. And uh, if they want to contact us, we do a couple of things. I can I can be your 
physician if that's what you want, or we can actually do an educational consult so that I can do a, a workup it's whatever, and then help you to work with your physician uh, and try and be flexible with that. Uh, but the, the the work we do is very, very, very thorough. I spend about four hours to five hours with every new patient and myself and uh, and then hours making their plan, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very detailed. So it's really not necessarily for everybody. It's for people who really are ready to dig deep, need to dig, dig deep and uh, motivated and able to to do something like that. I love that. It's so great. It sounds like a amazing grand rounds with the with the patient for four to five hours. Yeah. And you're right here in the DMV. You're you're local. So um, for those of you listening there in the Washington DC area, Dr. Hideo's practice is in uh, Chevy Chase, correct? Uh, in Rockville, actually. Oh, Rockville. Okay. I should combine this. Ah, that's why. That's why. I thought you were there. So yeah, Rockville is great. I'll have to come by sometime. Uh, and um, yeah, well, thanks so much again, uh, Bob, and great to great to see you here and uh, hope to connect with you again soon. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.